My name's Tommy. Tommy Johnson. How you doing, Tommy? Say, I haven't seen a house out here for miles. What are you doing out in the middle of nowhere? Well, I had to be at that there crossroads last midnight. Sell my soul to the devil. What did the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? Well, he taught me to play this here guitar real good. Oh, son. For that, you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wouldn't use it. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps us shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and I was watching the Netflix series Rhythm and Flow recently. Yes, I was watching Rhythm and Flow. It's the cool version of The Voice or whatever country you're in, Idol. And I was uh, watching this show um, being cool and very not an idiot for watching it. And uh, Chance the Rapper, who's one of the judges and I guess the organizers of the show, uh, said something that really stuck out to me. And uh, I just thought it would make interesting fodder for an episode. Now, you're going to have to bear with me a little bit on this one because there's a little bit of conspiracy theory behind it. And uh, I know you guys hate it when I talk about conspiracy theory. However, that's not going to be the focus of this episode. I really want to take conspiracy theory as a mythology and examine the stories that are created around that. Anyway, here's what Chance said during episode seven, about 14 minutes in, if you want to find it. But watch the whole thing it's called. The one thing I would say as a Christian, when you do stuff, be careful making videos in churches right. and letting people edit it too, because they be trying to put that demonic shit in there. They be putting shit upside down and right. having people laid out. So I ain't like that shit, but I think you had a good intention. And so just be careful, especially with your faith. Right. Be very, very protective of it in this industry. I appreciate it. Now, you may or may not know, uh, I didn't before I watched the show, that Chance is an acknowledged Christian faith rapper, I guess. Um, I don't, I'm not really familiar with his work, to be honest. So um, this episode is definitely not going to be about him because uh, I wouldn't know anything to say about the guy. Unfortunately, he does seem like a nice guy on the show. comes across very thoughtful and uh, respectful. And uh, maybe that is his Christian upbringing, I suppose. But it just made me think about why he felt the need to say that. He's an established music industry professional talking to someone who's an up-and-comer and the advice that he wants to impart is that someone of Christian faith will have their faith manipulated and turned on its head by the mechanizations of the industry itself. This implies somehow that there are people who are sitting around editing videos going, how can we get the 666 sign into this one? Or how can we have upside down crosses and inversions to make it more satanic than it is? Christian. And that's a strange thing to me that someone would be, especially knowing that the artist in question is actually a Christian, why would you try to invert that? Why would you try to bring demonic stuff and Satanism into a music video? It's very strange, but 
it happens all the time. And if you're not aware, if you don't watch enough music videos, and I think one would usually be enough to realize that there's a lot of satanic imagery and very repetitive demonic images in music videos, then you're just not paying enough attention. And Chance's quote really reinforces that. Now, I'm not religious, so I don't care about Satanism. I don't care about Christianity. Sorry, Christians, I just don't care. And um, I'm not coming at it from that angle at all. From my very, very limited knowledge on Satanism, it might be just as good an ideology as Christianity. I don't know. It seems it's about selfishness and that kind of stuff. Of course, there's a bit of sacrificing babies in there. That's the bad stuff. I don't think that should be done. But, uh, you know, putting that aside, maybe philosophically, it's more aligned with the culture that we have here in the West today. Now, it's possible Chance was making a little bit of a joke, just a throwaway line, meant nothing. Um, but as someone who's well-versed in the conspiracy theory stuff surrounding this, it really stuck out to me. So let's talk about realistic scenarios that would bring about a comment like that. Is there something that's down to earth and believable in the real world that inspires these kinds of myths and ideas and, yes, conspiracy theory? Now, we've covered bits and pieces of this before. Let's just do a quick recap. We did episode seven, The Stories We Tell About Fame, where I covered uh, a lot of the actual conspiracy stuff. It was a bit of a fun episode. It wasn't supposed to be too serious, uh, talking about Lady Gaga and Michael Jackson and how they talked about the industry and all of that kind of stuff. And we also did episode 19, which is stories we tell through music, where we talked about the parallels between the music industry and story itself, how music is essentially story, or at least has um, commonality with story uh, in the terminology, phrases like beats, acts, tone, composition, structure, theme, um, you know, words that cross over from the music industry to different forms of story. And we talked about in that episode, in a world where all energy is vibratory, is that a word, vibratory? We're going to use it because it's much easier uh, if that word exists. But in a world where all energy is vibratory, sound can play a very powerful role in affecting human behavior. And yeah, it was a bit of a theory, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of science that backs up the idea that music affects our mood and that vibration is something that's constantly affecting us in the universe. So if you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. There's a lot more detail in there. Because music has such a strong ability to influence people in one way or another, it's one of the industries where power likes to congregate. Power in general, and when I talk about power, the powers that be, people who have power and want to maintain it, they tend to congregate around industries that have massive influence over the population. As such, uh, the music industry does get subject to a lot of stories from vague skepticism to the full-blown conspiracy theory stuff that we did in episode seven. And some of it, you know, you could argue some of it's just jealousy, you know, how come that person gets to be a star when I'm more talented than them. And, you know, you've got all that kind of motivation, that human stuff that you could point to as the reasons for why, psychological reasons for why these kinds of stories emerge. But I want to focus on one particular idea, concept, 
uh, conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it, that emerges from the music industry. And that's the idea of selling one's soul. And you don't have to look far to find examples of musical artists specifically using this phrase. About, you know, what was going on in my life at 15. And that's how I got introduced to the music industry. Is I swear I wanted to be like the Amy Grant of music. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't work out. And so I sold my soul to the devil. Out here doing these songs, you know, you're still on tour. I do, but I don't take it for granted. Why do you still do it? Why are you still out here? Well, it goes back to the destiny thing. You know, I made a bargain with it. You know, long time ago, and I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where um, I am now. Should, should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> and on this earth, and then, uh, and then in a world we can't see. And yes, it's implied that we're talking about selling one's soul to the devil, so it does cross over with the demonic stuff and the Satanism. But generally speaking, we're not going to assume there's actually a devil or that this is a literal statement. Let's just treat it as a metaphor for something that's a lot less magical, supernatural, or Christian, whatever. It's a metaphor for the process of getting accepted into the music industry, right? So I guess the first question is, is it crazy to think there might be nefarious forces in the music industry? Is that a crazy idea? Uh, you know, are we, are we projecting? Are we imagining things? If you do a little bit of research or if you just cast your mind back, you'll find there are quite a lot of accusations, maybe not a lot of confirmations of the music industry basically being led by mobsters, the mafia, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, organized crime, let's call it that. It sounds a lot less fictional that way, I suppose. So what are the things that reportedly the, the mafia does? You know, what are, the, what are the kind of tactics that they use that we might see in the music industry as an indication of their fingerprint on the industry itself? Making an offer they can't refuse. That's that's from the the Godfather. Um, well, that's definitely what they do with musical artists. They offer them, you know, money and fame. It doesn't always work out that way for the artist, though. And it's worth noting the initial contracts in the music industry are false promises. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But yeah, it, it's still an offer that they can't refuse. It's just one that sounds a lot better than it really is. Uh, protection rackets. So, you know, you need to pay us a percentage of your income to get us to protect you. And in the end, we're actually protecting you from us. <laughs> the idea of not ratting on people and keeping things secret, keeping it in the family, uh, that seems to be kind of prevalent in the music industry. There's, it's, it's kind of seen as a revolutionary act when someone decides to speak out about the music industry and and talk about the backroom deals that go on and how the artists get stiffed by the big companies. So in a way, that's kind of mafia-like. 
They use things like uh, bribery and pulling in favors, you know, having an inside man. Uh, I suppose there's a lot of that that goes on in the industry. People say it's who you know, not what you do, that um, determines your success. And they use basic things like intimidation to control and uh, manipulate people. And you could guess that there's a lot of that going on behind the scenes uh, in the boardrooms and so on. It's a bit hard to see. It doesn't raise its head very often in public, but I would imagine that it's not too far-fetched. So there's a lot of things that I think the music industry does that is, uh, as I said, mafia-like. I've never heard of a label that doesn't screw an artist. You talk to anybody who uh, audits their label, they're always owed money. And if nothing else, usually the label holds back enough money that your cost of auditing is such that you won't do it. So that's the business model, is screwing the artists. Their financial practices have been shady since the beginning of time. It's been grandfathered in since the 50s and 60s when rock and roll really started. In the 50s, they were screwing the artists then, but there was much, much less money involved. Then as you start to go into the 60s and 70s, the hit to ratio is so bad that they're saying, hey, you know, we can't pay the hit artist because he's paying for all the bad artists. It goes back to how the music industry was set up in the very early stages of the recording industry. Taking advantage of uneducated, easily swayed artists who don't really care about the money. Unfortunately, there's a lot of fallout with, um, still, with bands getting paid, you know. We had to sue our label to get paid. And they've created this strange, convoluted system that you have to be a lawyer to really understand, or a mathematician. A typical record deal is structured something like this. The record label gives in advance, say, $250,000 to the artist to record an album. The artist then records the album. Suppose that the album sells 500,000 copies at $10 each, yielding $5 million. The record label then takes their cut out of the $5 million, typically 85% of the total sales, leaving the artist with $750,000. But before the artist receives any payments, the label first deducts the advance. In addition, the record label recoups other costs such as recording costs, half the promotion costs, half the video costs, and tour support. This leaves the artist $425,000 in debt to the record label. And then this debt gets carried on to the next album, the next album, and the next album. So I guess it's also worth noting, though, before we go too far on this line of thought, that the idea of wealth and fame and success, it's plausible that these things can lead people to act a little bit crazy, right? I mean... We all know there's access to drugs if you've got a lot of money. You also got sort of the, the paparazzi following people around, invading privacy, making life pretty miserable for these artists. You have the adulation of millions of people potentially uh, once you get to a certain level. And not to mention, you're probably surrounded with yes men. So, you know, you have this sort of inflamed narcissism. Fame has got to be hard to handle. And again, we talked about that in episode seven a little bit, but it's, it's something that we need to factor into this if we're going to make a grounded analysis. I'm a little wary of blaming drugs and alcohol 
and those kinds of things for everything that you ever see. I mean, you've got images of, say, Britney Spears shaving her head and running around and and uh, what did she do? Hang her baby off a balcony or something. I mean, this kind of behavior, yes, okay, it could be drugs, but isn't drugs kind of a dismissive explanation of such extreme behavior? So let's look for something more because I, I really find that argument a little easy. And we don't like to do the easy arguments here on Narratively Speaking. We like to go the hard route and over-explain everything that we possibly can. So let's break down what this conspiracy theory is. What, what is selling your soul to the devil? Uh, at its basic level, um, it's signing a contract. Okay, maybe that's all it is, right? I'm, I'm open to that. Of course. Of course I'm open to that. I'd live in the real world to an extent, sometimes on my good days when I take the right medication. But um, to me, it seems like a very specific metaphor to use when you could actually just say signing a contract. There's more being implied here. There's something about giving up or sacrificing in order to get that contract, that physical contract and the fame and promotion and success that goes with it. And before we move on from Britney Spears, I think you know she is one of the best examples of a musical artist who's literally under the control of other people. I mean, her father is her legal guardian. He has a conservatorship, I think you call it, where he controls all of her money, makes all the decisions for her. She's literally enslaved by her own father. You might say that's quite an innocuous thing and she had a mental breakdown and she needed help. Absolutely. But she is under control. And as far as I know, that conservatorship has not been given up. So let's talk about the aspects of this idea beyond signing a contract. What does selling your soul mean? Well, it means giving up your creative control, right? You're going to let other people advise you on what topics to sing about, what types of things to say, how to behave in public and so on for the purposes of generating more public appeal. And uh, that's what the soul part of the metaphor probably refers to. And the selling part, it's, it's, it's about selling out. So it's about doing that in return for money. Now, when you add the devil bit, it's a little bit different. Who is the devil? What does that mean? I think the devil probably just refers to the executives and financiers, the ones who decide which artists are made into stars and which just fall by the wayside and get forgotten. And I think uh, Michael Jackson probably said it best. We played this clip in episode seven. So again, he's talking about um, Tommy Mottola, who's the, who at the time was the head of Sony Music. And Tommy Mottola, by the way, has very strong reported ties to, you guessed it, uh, the mafia. So um, he's one of those guys who's considered a bit of a mob boss and is out there screwing artists out of their money at every turn. So in addition to the contract, we've got this idea of losing control. And if you go to the Vigilant Citizen website or pretty much even mainstream media, you'll come across this idea of handlers. These are people who basically insert themselves into a celebrity's life. 
they may even be the parents, as it, as is in the case of Britney Spears, but they may be an external force. It might be a boyfriend. You know, some people say Chris Brown and Rihanna. So this idea of handlers is out there, and it's something that seems to be an aspect of this, where you sign your contract and then you let the handlers into your life. There's also this idea of the 27 Club. Artists reach a certain shelf life around the age of 27. It's not always 27. Sometimes it's 30, but there's a lot that actually that this happens at 27 where either their career completely ends or they die. And um, a lot of celebrities die under, let's call them suspicious circumstances. Perhaps the contract that they sign is the acknowledgement that you're not going to be able to live a full life, that eventually you'll be released, taken out. You'll have to drown yourself in a bathtub or someone will drown you in a bathtub. And that's part of the contract too. The other side of it, this happens at the start of the contract, is this idea of sacrifice. A lot of artists, when they start their career, they have a story where they suffer the death of a brother or a best friend or maybe a parent or a child even. And just as an exercise, uh, you know, pick your favorite musical artist, assuming that they're popular and, and promoted by the music industry, and go back and look and see if they have a significant death uh, right at the start of their career, just as they start to blow up. So we've got all these sort of conspiratorial ideas going on in the mix, all about selling your soul to the devil. Is it possible that somehow celebrities are required to make some kind of sacrifice, as in actually physically murder their friend or allow their friend to be murdered in some way, maybe in some kind of satanic ritual, maybe just in general? Would that make sense? Does that, is that even possible? Surely they'd get caught. You'd find a lot of celebrities going to jail and whatever. But then you can explain that kind of by saying, well, these powerful people are above the law. They can organize for it to happen in a way that the artists remain protected from the law. And the reason I was thinking about this is I was listening to a Billie Eilish song called Bury a Friend the other day. And the lyrics of that song, I mean, what the fuck is she talking about? Step on the glass, staple your tongue, bury a friend, try to wake up. Cannibal class, killing the sun, bury a friend, I want to end me. Okay, Billy, uh, did you just use a random word generator? Or is there some meaning there? Well, there is obviously some metaphorical meaning in that. Staple your tongue is about maintaining silence. Step on the glass. I'm not really sure, but the idea of shattered glass is often associated with dissociative identity disorder, which is MKUltra and stuff. And then literally she says, bury a friend, kind of out of context in the middle of a sentence. Could that be referring to the idea of uh, a sacrifice? Try to wake up. Okay. Maybe, you know, you're drugged up. I don't know. Try to wake up from what? Cannibal class killing the sun. Well, I'll let you make your own interpretations of that. But, you know, when people write lyrics, they're deliberately choosing words. Maybe it's designed to shock. Maybe it's designed to even, you know, inflame the conspiracy theory stuff. Maybe she knows about that, uh, assuming she writes her own lyrics, which is probably not the case, but let's just go with it. I just couldn't help thinking 
that that's what she was referring to, this idea of sacrificing someone close to you for fame. And does it make sense? Well, okay, let's put aside the extremity of the act of murder for a second. Functionally speaking, does it make sense? I think it can. If you're funding a artist that you would like to control, how do you control someone? Well, the best way is to use the mafia tactic of having dirt on them, right? If you've got dirt on someone, blackmail material, they're going to do pretty much whatever you want. And if you're going to have 100% control, the blackmail material needs to be extreme. It needs to be 100%. It would ruin your life if it was ever revealed. And I can't think of any better mechanism. Actually, I'm pretty sick. I can think of a few better mechanisms, but murder would certainly fit the bill. If you took footage of someone making a sacrifice to get into the industry, they're certainly going to be your mental slave for the rest of their days. Uh, So functionally speaking, it does make sense. Practically speaking, maybe there's more subtle versions of that that you could do to try and influence the people that you're funding. So let's not go too crazy. I promised you I wouldn't. Let's just take it as a metaphor. I think that's how it's intended. But why this particular metaphor and, and, and why the demonic link? Why is it there? The way I look at things is Satanism itself is just another story. And, you know, I think Satanism is used kind of as a boogeyman to generate fear and helplessness. You know, if the devil exists and people are worshiping him and sacrificing babies, it's something that's kind of overwhelming. It's a little bit hard to deal with. And I think as a story, it functions very well to manipulate people. But what's the point of all this? Why bring it up at all? Why discuss this on the podcast? Well, all these stories have a kind of consistent pattern to them. And it's just another level of conspiracy, one that's much more grounded, but affecting you right now in this moment. And ironically, If these stories are born from uh, jealousy in artists who are unable to break through or get recognition for their talent, then it actually has the opposite effect of that which they would probably desire. Because the overall effect of these stories is to make the industry seem inaccessible to the average person, to make art seem exclusive and privileged, to discourage you right now in this moment from picking up a pen and writing some lyrics or to keep that guitar or keyboard gathering dust in your closet for another year. Because let's face it, you're not going to get a record contract, are you? Only the selected few are ever going to make it, and the system is rigged. And if you're not willing to sell your soul, bury your friend, and let evil into your life, you'll never be successful. And while it's probably true that the industry-sponsored artists are subject to a limited number of slots that go to a hand-picked few who are probably sons and daughters or cousins of someone else who's already powerful in the industry, your ability to pick up your guitar, rig up a microphone and play something amazing should never be impeded by a perceived lack of financial opportunity. We live in an age of social media. Media creation has never been more easy than it is in this present moment. And if you just wait one more second, you'll find it just got slightly easier. You don't need a company to find a following. You just need to produce work that people will like 
and then get it in front of them. And there are so many ways to do it. It's just going to take a little bit of hard work and persistence. And even if those companies wanted to throw money at your feet and coat your genitals in 24 karat gold, maybe the answer should just be, no, thank you. The population keeps growing. That's the potential audience for your particular kind of art. And while there might be more creators than ever as well, there are enough people on the planet for us all to get a small following. Just look at narratively speaking. I'll never understand why or how, but a small handful of people are listening to every episode I release. And that's enough. It's enough for me that anybody gets any kind of pleasure from it at all. And of course, I enjoy doing it. You owe the world that song, those lyrics, that story. You owe the world because the world gives to you. So don't wait until you're 100% likely to make it big. Do it because you love it. And if you don't love it, find something you do. Do it because other people might love it. Give it to the world because the world gives so much to you. And you may find it rewards you in ways you could never anticipate.